So much of successful parenting has to do with the dynamics involved in not confusing the urgent with the important. So how do you measure your success as a parent? Is it gauged by how you and your kids are made to feel all the time? By your kids' grades? By your financial status or the amount of material blessing that you can provide them? Have we mortgaged our kids' childhoods for stuff and status? Furthermore, why shouldn't our success be gauged more by the relational peace, contentment, the joy, and the security that we bring to one another, and by the eternal security that comes from our family's knowledge of, submission to, and relationship with God? Well, that's a lot of questions, and today we're going to explore a more biblical view of the answers of parenting success. It's called A Theology of Home. Next on Licensed to Parent. Well, hello and welcome once again to Licensed to Parent. Our program comes to you from Shepherd's Hill Academy, a year-long Christ-centered residential program helping teens in crisis and, by extension, their families. I'm Rich Rosel. Our host is Trace Embry, the founder and director of Shepherd's Hill. And Trace, you know, there are a number of ways that, that we could measure success. I listed just a few in the opening, but success in life, success in parenting. But if what's going on relationally in the home isn't plugged into the greater success equation, then there's going to be something hollow about it all. Your thoughts on mm -hmm. that? Well, I don't know who coined the phrase, but I think it's an accurate statement to say that, uh, you know, on our deathbed, uh, we aren't going to say, I wish I'd have spent more time at the office. And I don't mean to sound sexist, but I, I, I think this is uh, particularly true uh, about moms. I often tell a, a true story about my experience teaching a parenting class for the Department of Juvenile Justice just to show people how important the need is for kids to bond with their parents and, and how they, they really want to. Uh, and though it's true for dads, too, it's particularly true for moms and their kids. The story kind of goes like this. I was teaching this class, and... Um, I just had the parents there, and I asked the, the, the group of about 25, I think it was, uh, what would your kids rather have? A $100 bill and you drop them off at the mall, or one hour with you on a swing set in a local park? And uh, this one mom, she just blurted out, well, that's a no-brainer, you know? And I'm saying, okay, well, what would you... Would you so what what's you? the no-brainer answer? Yeah, <laughs> she's, she says, my kid, take the money, you know? And uh, everyone else kind of agreed. And I said, what if I told you that your child would rather have the hour in the park? And no one agreed with me. Uh, and I never met the kids before. Uh, I, have, I, I was dealing with the parents for a while. And so uh, I said, well, your child's in the next room, ma'am. Can we bring her in? And I'll, I'll risk the embarrassment if you will. And uh, she said, sure. So we brought her in. I asked her the question, would you rather have a $100 bill and be dropped off at the mall or spend an hour on a swing with your mom? She, this girl did not miss a beat. She said, an hour in the park with my mom. And the thing about it is this girl hated her mom, or so the story goes. So there is that deeper part of the, the child that needs that bond. The other story is a story of the workaholic dad who, you know, was never home and, you know, always working in, in, in the office. And uh, Johnny, his son, wanted to go fishing. And I honestly don't know if this is a true story or someone made it up. Uh, it sounds like it could be a true story. Uh, but lo and behold, dad works himself into an early grave at the funeral. They asked Johnny the most pleasurable time he ever had, the memorable time he ever had with his, his dad. And he said it was the day that dad agreed to take me fishing on a Friday. And so uh, uh, when they were going through his stuff at, at home after the funeral, uh, they ran across dad's day timer. And uh, Junior goes through there, Johnny goes through there, and Monday it's filled, Tuesday filled, all the way through Friday, one entry. Took Johnny fishing, wasted day. 
Oh, man. Yeah, it's hard to even tell that story without choking up. Um, but as important as our parent-child relationships are, uh, we do our kids a tremendous disservice if we don't help them cultivate a relationship with the living God through Jesus Christ. Uh, we can provide them all the earthly comforts and luxuries that money can buy, but without imparting those eternal intangibles that we know are just as true and real as anything we can empirically prove, uh, as well as being the very keys to what Jesus called the, the abundant life, then what have we really accomplished when all the smoke clears? Mm. Because what does it actually profit a person to gain the whole world yet lose their own soul? But that first implies that we really have souls, and that's something too few people, too few parents today uh, really put much stock in anymore. And we're seeing the result of that every time we watch the news. Absolutely. Trace, let me welcome today's guest into our program. And this is somebody who works every day at finding the eternal in the everyday. At least that's what it says on the subheading of the website for the online magazine she edits. That magazine is called Theology of Home. What a great name and a great concept for today's program. Her name is Carrie Gress. She's a homeschooling mother of four. She has a doctorate in philosophy from the Catholic University of America, which means she's a lot smarter than we are. And she's the co-author of the book, Theology of Home, which is uh, scheduled to be released in September of this year. Well, Carrie, welcome to Licensed to Parent. Thank you so much for having me. Listen, before we get started, uh, can you tell us a little bit about theologyofhome.org and, and the mission of your work there? Right. Um, well, theologyofhome.com uh, actually started when I, I realized that there was not really a great place for women to go to to get content that was both theological but also incredibly practical. Um, we see this all the time in women's magazines, but we don't really see it you know, among Christians as, as much. And I think part of it is because a lot of times we feel like the practical should fall away or it's not as important. And yet we know that women are really inspired by the practical. We know that women need the practical. We know that we've got to figure out how to clothe our families and you know, decorate our homes and get dinner on the table. And all of those kinds of things, I, I think, really feed a woman's soul. But they're, they're not unimportant, and I think we kind of have brushed that under the table um, a little bit too much and aren't, aren't paying attention to that very real need that women have. And so as a result... A lot of us are going other places to find the content and, you know, things like the popular magazines that are at the, the checkout stand. But there's an awful lot of junk in those that, you know, most of us right. just don't want to engage with. But we, we, we're, we're sort of torn. We love the images and the pictures and the ideas, but we don't want the awful stuff in it. So mm-hmm. um, this is really a response to that. But um, the idea of, of Theology of Home as a, as a concept actually came to me. I was, I was running one day on a, my treadmill and it just really struck me that, you know, we're all sort of racing to, to get home, to get to that, that embrace, that home that God the Father has for all of us in heaven, and that everything we do needs to be directed at that. But even our homes here on earth are kind of a reflection of that. They can either be very, feel heavenly and like a sanctuary, or they can feel a lot more like hell um, with chaos and disorder and distrust and uh, abuse. Um, so we have the capacity um, as parents to really create an environment that our children will understand is a foreshadowing of the kind of home that we're all called to eventually. Mm-hmm. Can you give me an example of one thing, one practical thing that a parent can do to make home feel more like heaven? <laughs> um, I think uh, like what you guys were saying in the introduction, the big thing is just to really be, be present to those yeah. who are in the home um, and to really work on those relationships. 
it's, it's amazing to me how much of a, a bad word, you know, being a homemaker has become, yeah. and yet we're so focused on these elements of our home. I mean, even just looking at the the rise of HGTV and, you know, home goods stores and these kinds of things. I think it's, all of that is sort of pointing to this desire that we have to have beautiful homes and to, but, but it goes deeper than just the beauty of it. We want the order. We want those Mm -hmm. relationships. And uh, unfortunately, I don't think the message that uh, relationships are fundamental is getting through enough and we're spending too much time focused on, you know, the perfect throw pillow um, instead of the deeper meaning there. Right. Or what's going on with the Kardashians. Well, as long as the throw pillow has the right <laughs> phrase embroidered on it, then, you know, I think we can yeah, right. save there. <laughs> my, my wife is a pillow collector, by the way. Yeah, and my husband teases me ceaselessly about, about throw pillows, too. So, yeah. It's, <laughs> uh, you lost me. Male-female divide. You, you lost me right there. But anyway, if, if few people would challenge a woman who says that it's optimal for a man's place to be the provider of the home, why would a man be considered a sexist and or a bigoted, toxic male chauvinist for saying that it's optimal for a woman's place to be in the home? Well, I think there's, we have to look at kind of the nature of the human person. And this is one of the things that our culture has completely messed up for mm. various reasons. But we have to look at, at what human nature really is about. And if we... Even look back to ancient mythology. How is it that, that women are defined? They're defined as vessels. Um, you can see it. You know, we talk about in, in the Romance languages. The word for ocean is a female word. The word for ship is a female word. Um, women have been compared to soil, um, where seeds are planted and things grow. Cars. Yes, cars even. Yeah. Cars even, and that's why ships are always named a woman and whatnot. Um, but the, women don't just carry things. We actually transform them. I, one of my favorite images that I found um, from the ancient mythology is just even an oven. Um, something is put in, and we transform it through who we are, and something else is, you know, that item is made better by the gifts that we give to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that's an important piece that we have to remember. So much of our culture is trying to tell women that, you know, your children are your enemy and your husband is your enemy. And unless you can do what men do, you're really not going to be happy. Yeah. Um, I think that that's ignoring this reality that we have, that women have this deep desire to, to nurture and to help transform things. And this is, what, again, why we're seeing this rise in, in our homes, but also in things like gardening and, you know, food networks. I mean, these are amazing gifts that we can give other people when we're even entertaining or, or being hospitable in different yeah. ways. Amen. I um, and all of this is very feminine, I think. Yeah. You know, sitcoms and hip-hop aren't helping anything, are they? Um, no, that's for sure. <laughs> what should we be teaching our kids about today's media culture's claim that there's a war mm-hmm. on women? Yeah, I, I think that's an amazing thing is, is just to really look at, first of all, how much the media is controlling our uh, the way that... Uh, all women think. I, I don't know if you saw the movie Unplanned with Abby Johnson, but yeah, we interviewed he, her. her. Yeah. Oh, great. Um, yeah. Well, Abby's in Abby's life. Who was against her work? It was her husband and her parents. I mean, the people that she should be most, um, you know, sensitive to in terms of their opinions. And yet, that didn't mean much when it came to the power of the media and what other women were saying, what magazines were saying, and sitcoms and Hollywood. All of these things were influencing her much more strongly than her own family and husband. And I think that's something that we all have to really be mindful of. That it's that they are promoting one very specific message, which is our children are our enemy, 
and the only way that we're, as women, can be happy is if we go to our career. And then if you look at women in their 50s, 60s, 70s, like you were saying, they're not looking back saying, I wish I would have worked harder. They're looking back and saying, I don't have a family. I don't have a husband. What do I have to show for my life? I might have a great bank account and have traveled a lot, but I don't have these things that I truly desire, which is these deep relationships. Yeah. Well, to me, I mean, maybe I'm, I'm out to lunch here, but uh, I feel like there's a, an even greater war on men today. Uh, you're, and you say? Mm-hmm. No, I would agree. Absolutely. And actually, I, I do talk about this a lot in my book, The Anti-Marriage Exposed, because if you look back to the early foundresses of radical feminism, the real goal was to get rid of family, was to get rid of the authority that men have. And we can see this you know, over and over again, um, that they're, they're trying to attack men, but at the same time, be just like men. Mm-hmm. So it's this very confused relationship with men um, where they're saying, we want to be like you, and it's not even the good yous. They, they want to be like, you know, the, be, mimic the behavior of terrible men. But then they're simultaneously telling men who do take their responsibility seriously that this is toxic masculinity, mm. and you need to change and become more like women. Yeah, and that was, that's my next question. What is toxic masculinity? Is that a real thing? <laughs> you know, I don't think it. I think... I think it's a great buzzword that they use to sort of badger men into not being yeah. men. Well, they make um, up a lot of words. <laughs> right. It's insane. Yeah. No, and this is what they're masterful at, is giving us these sound bites that then make us think, oh, well, that's not really important. I mean, think about Wendy Davis's pink shoes. Think about the wire hangers. Think about the handmade brigade that they bring out <laughs> every time there's a Supreme Court issue or something. Know. Um, you know, they're, they're very good at these visuals, and I think that we haven't done a great job of combating them or coming up with others on our own we make great arguments we have all the arguments mm-hmm. but we're we're just not as great as at the marketing and that's um yeah, that's right. really where the, the struggle becomes no you're um, exactly so I think right our guest on License to Parent today is Carrie Gress. She's the editor of the online magazine Theology of Home and the author or co-author of several books, including the forthcoming Theology of Home book, which is scheduled for release in September. You can find her work online at theologyofhome.com. This is License to Parent, back with more conversation with our guest, Dr. Carrie Gress, right after this. In the training of our children, what role should public school play? Documentarian Colin Gunn takes a panoramic exploration of this issue by hopping in a school bus for a field trip all over America in the DVD Indoctrination. Colin conducts a series of candid interviews and discovers how God's recipe for training the next generation is being replaced with a humanistic, man-centered program that fragments the family and undermines the influence of the church and the Great Commission. Christian teachers and principals share how they're attempting to walk the tightrope between teaching what they do not believe and being restricted from their God-given call to be salt and light. Indoctrination, Public Schools and the Decline of Christianity in America. Available in the Licensed to Parent store at LicensedToParent.org. Proceeds support the Shepherds Hill Academy Student Scholarship Fund. Teen rebellion, depression, addiction, rage, cutting, and suicide are destroying our families today. But there is a way out. Shepherd's Hill Academy offers a 12-month Christ-centered nonprofit residential program where kids are being transformed with a biblical worldview and often medication-free. 
Christian apologist Ravi Zacharias is just one of many Christian leaders who understands what's happening at Shepherd's Hill Academy. It really is such an honor to come alongside Shepherd's Hill Ministries and licensed to parent to rescue those who have been seduced along the way. Uh, I cannot gainsay how important this is and to get behind a ministry like this, one will find the rewards to be extremely powerful in changing society. Get the help you need at Shepherd's Hill Academy. Go to helpmytroubledteen.org, helpmytroubledteen.org. You're listening to Licensed to Parent, the radio outreach of Shepherd's Hill Academy. You'll find us online at licensedtoparent.org. And our guest on today's program is Dr. Carrie Gress. She's editor of the online magazine Theology of Home, author of several books, but also co-author of the forthcoming book, Theology of Home, which is scheduled for release sometime in September. Uh, Carrie, during the break, we were talking about... um, you know, the roles of moms as nurturers and whatnot. And, and there has been a, a real drive in recent years in particular, especially among Christian families, to have a stay-at-home mom or at least a stay-at-home parent. Talk to us about that. Um, for example, does it always have to be the mom who stays at home? Is, is having a stay-at-home dad okay if the mom can make three times more money or whatever? Um, but But also... Talk about the aspect of staying at home yet working from home. What, what's your take on all this? Yeah, I think these are really incredibly sticky issues because there's so many elements that go into them that each family has to kind of discern for themselves what, what is going to work best for them. Um, but I know that there's, there is an incredible benefit to having at least one parent home. Um, and I, I see this myself all the time, just the continuity that I have with my kids where I know when something's wrong with them. I know when they need attention in a particular area or um, we need, you know, I need to just go out to lunch with one of them by ourselves so that we can have some time together, some real time, just face time where they feel special and, and included. Um, but those are things that you, that are very hard to pick up upon if you're, you're not around them all the time. Um, and I think that's really one of the, the remarkable gifts that we have, we can give our kids um, through our homes and through staying at home. Um, but I think, too, that there is that reality of, you know, father can do that as well. I know my husband is incredibly dialed into my children and picks up on things that I don't pick up on. And he's actually a, a much better teacher than I am. So it's, it sort of makes me laugh that I'm the one that's teaching them when um, he's at work, at work every day. But um, I'm great to have his, grateful to have his support as well. Um, so, yeah, I think these are very challenging things. But um, And I know for myself, I work from home, um, but I have to be very specific about the times when I'm working. I usually try to work early in the morning and then late at night after everybody's gone to bed because there is that pull where I could I could be working all day long because they're, they've gone to a point where they're sort of self-contained. Um, and yet I know that I saw problems arise dramatically. Um, you know, when I was at those stages when I was very busy, either completing a book or working on a project, um, that, you know, I would hear kind of this tone in their voice and, and a distance to them and even resentment towards my work um, that would be voiced. And so I've had to sort of cut back in areas, and I, I've definitely cut back in my travel. Um, that's a one, one area that I know is just really, really hard on our family when I travel. Um, and, you know, I'm not there to tuck them in at night. And so it's only, you know, very, it's very rarely that I actually do travel at this point. So I, I think it's hard. But, again, it's, these are different stages, and our kids aren't 
dependent upon us. You know, most of them aren't for their whole life. And so we have these different stages that we can go through where we can, you know, make these sacrifices and dedicate the time to the kids, which is something that we will never regret and we'll reap rewards from for, you know, our whole life long and then thereafter um, versus, you know, as we've said before, those regrets of, um, you know, what should I have done differently in their childhood and when we see that the troubles and struggles that they have as adults. Okay, I'm going to get some nasty letters from what, what I'm about to ask you, but uh, that's okay. Uh, His address <laughs> is Trace Embry. Yeah, yeah, the address at the Rich Brazel. <laughs> um, you know, I happen to think that women, generally speaking, are much better wired. Uh, certainly, they have all the mm-hmm. equipment uh, to be better nurturers than men. Again, generally mm-hmm. speaking. And, and, and do you think that deep down that more women, uh, given the opportunity or taking the opportunity, would really like to be domestic engineers, a.k.a. stay-at-home moms, which I don't even like that term? But Yeah. No, I think you're absolutely right. And I think that there's so many constraints upon us, whether it's, you know, we, our mortgage is too big, we have student loans, um, you know, we've gotten ourselves into a place where we have to have two people working um, I think that that's one of the big struggles uh, for sure, and I have so much empathy for people in those situations um, because it's really hard. But I, I can think just off the top of my head of at least 10 women that I know that would love to be stay-at-home moms, mm-hmm. but they can't because of yeah. for financial reasons. Same here. But I, I think that's, you know, that tug is very real, and it's exciting actually to see that women are responding to that because I think for decades women have just, you know, swept that under the carpet and said, oh, I'm going to, you know, find myself in my career. Um, but the fact that, and I think I see this especially among millennials, they're not, they don't feel trapped by that ideology anymore. And so they're open to doing things that are, are different than what their moms or grandmothers did. Um, so I find that really heartening, but it's definitely, there is this tug that women have to nurture and we see it, it's, it's always going to be there. It's just going to manifest itself in different ways. And I think this is one of the reasons why we're seeing pets now referred to as children or, uh-huh, you know, I, yeah. um, her children or my god dog or I mean my grand dog. Um, you know, there's all kinds of ways that women are expressing this desire to nurture, but it's because they don't have children. Um, and, you know, gardening, all these kinds of things, which are good, but again, are pointing to the fact that, that something is missing in our lives, and so we're trying to fill it up with, with surrogates. Mm-hmm. Well, you, you made the statement that we have to have two people working. Um, would we have to have two people working if we didn't buy the cultural lie that we need to spend uh, buy things we don't need uh, with money we don't have to impress people we don't even like. Um, downsizing. I mean, there's so many things in 2019 that we think we have to have that we didn't even know about, you know, just you know, 20 years ago. Right. Um, Financial teacher Ron Blue often says, I didn't know what I needed until I went to the mall. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yes, exactly. No, I think that's really challenging. I, I mean, I have a lot of sympathy for the situation because I live outside of Washington, D.C. So I know what mm-hmm. it caught. You know, we, my husband has an, an hour commute every morning, hour and a half uh-huh. coming home every day. So I can stay home because we don't, we couldn't move closer to D.C. and still be able to homeschool our, our children and whatnot um, because, just because of the price of real estate. Mm-hmm. I know student loans are another thing. And those are decisions, you know, student, student loans are hard because those are decisions people make mostly before they, they have children and before they're married. So I think those are really hard challenges. I want to jump to, and we're out of time here, but I want to just briefly, you know, when our kids watch the news, they're seeing that that men are constantly being berated for supporting pro-life positions. 
the argument being that, you know, because I'm not a woman, therefore I have no right to tell a woman what to do with her body. Now, besides the fact that we're not actually talking about just her body, uh, but the body that lives in her body, which incidentally was partially created by a man because in most cases she allowed a man to partially enter her body, yet he still has no say-so in what happens to the product of that mutually agreed-upon union and what is really 50% his. Now, how does that work, actually? <laughs> yeah, I think this is just a, a way that, that women really want to silence men and don't want to hear the voices and make them feel like they don't have a say in this. Um, but, of course, the, the reality is that men have an incredible voice. They have an incredible capacity to be active, to protect, and to want to um, promote life. Um, and so I think this is one of the things that, again, it's just a ploy to make women sort of look like the victims and men to look like idiots, mm-hmm. um, which is just a pattern we've seen since the 1970s, roughly. Um, so, yeah, I, I think this, I, you know, I couldn't be any more encouraging of men to finally just resist and say, no, you know, right. and, and I know that it's hard for men. I mean, even look at Adam and Eve. Adam didn't want to say no to Eve. I mean, right. this was before the fall. He That's didn't a- want to say no. Um, so I think this is a real challenge and hard for men to say, look, what you're doing is wrong, and I can't support you in this, or, or we need to find a different direction, or whatever it is. Um, and, and that's one of the reasons why this, this issue between men and women is such a challenge, because of that desire to love women and not fight them. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that it's, it's vitally important that men understand that they have a significant role in, in turning this culture around. Yeah. Are there any studies that show that women, uh, you know, how happy women are today compared to the days when they were largely <laughs> full-time domestic engineers? Yeah, no, I talk about this all the time. Um, there's not a lot of evidence to show that women are happy. Um, I've been looking at all kinds of studies and everything from suicide rates, which are really high for women, uh, depression rates, STDs. I just read something this morning. A million people are being affected by STDs every day. Yeah, one in four um, women have one. Yeah, no, it's horrifying. Mm-hmm. Um, divorce rates, 70% of those are initiated by women. Um, so there's a real sense of, of malcontentedness, and I think women, that's another one of our, our great wounds. Um, you know, it came from Eve. Eve took the bait from the serpent because he said, there's more that you just don't know that you could have. Mm. Um, and um, this is kind of what we do is, is we have this desire for more, and this is why we need the security and the love of, of men and our families and yeah. certainly of knowing the love of God to bolster us so that we can rest in what we've been given Instead of always being more acquisitive, always mm-hmm. feeling like we need to shop more um, or, or do more, be more. Right. Our guest today on License to Parent has been Dr. Carrie Gress, editor of the online magazine Theology of Home and co-author of the forthcoming Theology of Home book, which is scheduled for release in September. Uh, Carrie, will uh, our listeners be able to find that book on your website or what, what's the best way for them to get it when it comes out? Yeah, um, it'll be available on Amazon and um, certainly on my website as well. But um, yeah, anywhere that uh, good books are sold. Very good. And that website is theologyofhome.com. Carrie Gress, thanks so much for your time today on Licensed Parent. We appreciate you being with us. Thank you. My pleasure. Anytime. God bless you. And you can find out more about the work we do by going to our website, licensedtoparent.org. Remember that Licensed to Parent is an outreach of the Ministry of Shepherds Hill Academy, a year-long Christ-centered residential program for teens in crisis. Now you can help the work here continue by supporting the Shepherds Hill Scholarship Fund. Your tax-deductible gift will go directly to helping families who can't afford residential care get the help they need for a teen who may be one step away from the grave or from jail. 
So won't you help today? You can give securely online when you visit LicensedToParent.org and click the Donate button. Again, LicensedToParent.org. Our guest coordinator on Licensed to Parent is Daniel Fazina. Our technical producer is Carl Peets. For Trace Embry, I'm Rich Rosl, inviting you to tell a fellow parent about us and then join us again next time to renew your License to Parent. And remember, folks, if you don't train your children, somebody else will. God bless you. See you next time.